Welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. Um, first of all, I realized that last week we released episode 100 and I was so excited. I had so much to say. Um, and a lot of people have written me about that episode. And I just want to thank you guys like super awesome feedback. And uh, I've, I've been loving that all week. Um, but I realized I recorded it and I had so much to say. It was almost two hours. And I realized I didn't thank all of you guys for for helping me put out 100 episodes, which is like a huge accomplishment and definitely like a big goal I've been striving for with the podcast. So thank you guys so much from the bottom of my heart. You guys rock. Um, and now we're starting episode 101 <laughs> uh, this week. And I'll try to do a quick intro here because we do have a lot to share with you guys. Uh Basically, I was thinking after my Desert Rats stage race uh, report last week, I wanted to give my fellow racers a platform to share their stories because every single one of them have inspired me, um, have motivated me, helped me, um, taught me, and I just want to make sure that that they can share their stories as well. And it was funny when I was imagining, envisioning this podcast a couple weeks ago, I was like, all right, so everyone's going to share and we'll put together like little five minute clips from different racers and, you know, we'll edit it all together um, into a show. And as soon as I interviewed and chatted with the first person from the race, I was like, oh man, like I gotta, I gotta give him more time. Five minutes is you know, editing a whole conversation down to five minutes would be ridiculous. Uh, and so each person shared the story and I'd say there's about 20 minutes, uh, from each person. And in this episode, we'll, we're talking to five different racers. And, and along with that, I was like, man, I'm going to have to do a couple of these episodes. Uh, so I'm going to try to space them out over the next few months. Um, I am going to interview, other people from the event because like I said, I just love and respect them so much. Uh, and I, and you know, it's a good excuse to reconnect for me. Um, while also hearing some stories that I hadn't heard, uh, heard from the race, you know, I haven't heard all the experiences people went through. Um, but at the same time, I, I'm going to space them out because I know, uh, there can be too much of a good thing. And, uh, so that being said, episode 102 is not going to be, based around the desert rats it'll be uh kind of back to regular scheduling um but after that sometime in the next few months we'll hear back from some other people from the event uh who are just amazing and not only the racers but the crew and everyone involved the race organizers they were so such such great people and i truly was inspired by each and every one of them um so that being said, this week we have five of the racers sharing their stories um, and we're going to start. I figured we'd start by reconnecting with the previous guest, Phil Pinty. Uh, Phil just was such an amazing person to have around camp and to be a part of this event. He really brought this atmosphere of fun, uh, joking around, enjoyment, um, you know, and and like we said, if you go back and listen, that was episode 98 where Phil and I talked about what we're expecting from the event, how we're planning. Um, 
we both went into it not really knowing how we were going to feel or how we were going to be able to compete in something so long. And I think Phil knocked it out of the ballpark. So let's get into it. Here's Phil's story from the Desert Rats Cocopelli stage race. Yeah, I mean, I'm the, I'm the type of guy, aside from, um, you know, just, I wouldn't even say, like, redemption or anything like that, but, like, <laughs> listening, <laughs> going back to the podcast beforehand, and, like, you and I even discussed, like, while we were there, just that, you know, we really, not that we were, like, ill-prepared, or not that we weren't preparing ourselves, but we really had no idea, like, what we were getting ourselves into and stuff. Yeah. So I kind of... I just kind of had this itch that if there was like any time that I was ever going to do this race again, like I wanted it still kind of fresh in my memory and stuff. And I, I think I, you know, with this clickbait articles on Facebook and everything like that, but there was time and time again, people said that like, why do people forget the pain of uh, like running a marathon? You know, you put yourself through running that long and, um, then like a week or two later, like all you think about is how great it was. You don't think <laughs> about how painful it was or how bad your feet hurt or anything like that. And it's like, I just want to go into it knowing what's in store and, you know, preparing a little bit better and stuff like that. But I, I just wanted to, I want another go at things. So, yeah. 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 I know for me, it was like, it was just such an amazing experience. Like I have not been able to stop thinking about it or talking about it or like just everyone <clears throat> who did the race was so like everybody was so inspiring and positive and like it was just such a fun time so that was <laughs> for mm -hmm. me i was like dude it was so fun i want to do it again <laughs> as weird as yeah. that is so no i forget who i forget who said that while we were there like um well no ryan of course ryan golden who is just crushed it you you absolutely had a freaking amazing you know run the entire time i was just trying to keep up with you and thomas and bob and everything but i, I think ryan said it so well like he he said he'd come back next year to just to like volunteer like just to be a part of it and it's it's so much more than just the running it's it's the people you're there with and it's being removed from you know, society, so to speak, and technology and social media and all that stuff. And it, uh, it's not a, it's not a feeling, it's not a feeling that's like easily replicated. And, um, you know, in regards to like the expedition day and stuff like that, I went from, uh, you know, we'd get the early, early run and the, the late, uh, the later shift of people that would run and, you know, to go from coming in right after Ryan on the sprint day and then coming in like practically like dead last on the expedition day and just to see, you know, both sides of the spectrum and this, to be on the end of welcoming people in and seeing people finish and then also, you know, almost <laughs> anxiously awaiting the, the end of the day and stuff like that. I mean, Thursday just really, I, I think I really got my money's worth, you know. <laughs> That's what I was, I mean, I don't want to say that was, that was, that's what I was intentionally looking to do, but, um, I haven't had that feeling of wanting it to be over, but at the same time, like knowing that you need to keep pushing yourself and you can't give up and stuff like that. So, yeah. 
I, I, I was going to ask you about like, what was your high moment and what was your low moment? And mm-hmm. I have a feeling for you, they both came on the same day. They both came on the 41 mile day, but I'm not sure. So what do you got? Yeah. 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 Um, well, I mean, Rachel and I, before the race started, during the race, after the race, traveling home and stuff like that, like we just kept recounting, you know, rehashing the stories and the different folks that we were there with and everything. And I think the first day, I wouldn't necessarily say it was a high or a low, but like just, I think we were all so excited and we were all just getting to know each other. And like the thing that just, we kept talking about was just like the van ride out to like the starting point in Fruta, Colorado. And you know, I felt like right off the bat, the folks that we were with, and this goes for everybody that we were on the trip with, like everybody just meshed like so well. And even though we all came from different backgrounds and different parts of the country and we were there for like different reasons, like we were anxious, we were excited. And, um, I feel like in, in, when you're an adult in the in the real world, so to speak, like you don't really get that feeling that much anymore. Like you and I both have young kids and whether it's the first day of school or it's summer camp or whatever, like kids are constantly being thrown into like new situations with new people. And you, you have to be open. You have to be accommodating and respectful and like all those things to like make new friends. And I just felt like from the very beginning, like the van ride out there was just a precursor of the entire week, the experience that we shared together. Um, but definitely, definitely Thursday for me personally, um, I think it was a culmination of just myself as well as you and everyone else that's been there. Like not many of us have run that many miles in that many consecutive days. So for like my body structure and just for the training that I had done and the, um, the altitude and the elevation that we covered just in Thursday alone, I really think that like started to add up and, uh, my muscles as well as like, you know, I don't want to get all too scientific, but just like maximizing, you know, oxygen and everything like that. But Thursday, um, it got to a point where like I was willing myself to keep running and, and everything. And, you know, I kept putting one foot in front of another, but, um, starting in the later wave, well, no, actually I think I started in the earlier wave that day. Um, no, I lie. I, it was a later wave, but you, it's a very, the feelings of like isolation and just the unforgiving heat and, um, just isolation of just being out in the desert and not seeing like a familiar face for, I think it was like a good two hour stretch that I, I didn't see anybody. And the, uh, the strategic planning, whether it was just by like the driveway or being able to get an aid station in there, you're going 12 and a half miles to an aid station and then another 12 and a half miles, you know, out of there. And, you know, it's practically a marathon with one, with one aid station in between in the middle of the Moab. And, you know, that is the heart and soul, I think of the entire race. And, um, and then to, be coming down the home stretch. I, I saw people take some pictures and, and whatnot of the sunset that day. And just to be coming down that road and knowing that like, 
these people that I just met were like waiting and having dinner and rehashing stories from the day and everything like that. Like that just kept me my drive alive. And uh, it was just great to finally, <laughs> to finally get into camp at the end of the day. But yeah, yeah. that was one of my favorite moments is when you came into camp that day, uh, you know, cause it was dark out and you're watching people come in and you're seeing headlights, but you can't really tell who's coming into camp. And mm-hmm. just like, it's just, you rooted for everybody. You're like, Oh my God, like I can't wait for, you know, Phil to come into camp. Like it's going to be so awesome. And then to see you <laughs> finally come in, dude, and you like sprinted, we all made a tunnel and you sprinted through. And I knew, I know you didn't like, you probably felt exhausted and tired and stuff, but you like totally sprinted through with like the happiest look on your face. And then instantly walked over to a chair, propped your feet up, and just laid down for God knows how long. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, part of it was I. I was constantly asking um, Lorenzo, one of the medics that I was with, and uh, and Rachel, who I was running with at that time. Uh, you know, how much further to camp? How much further to camp? And then once, once, once nightfall, you know, ascended on us there. Um, I really wanted to run a good portion of that drive in, but like I tried for a little bit. There was like rocks and stuff like that. The last thing I want to do on that day is like twist my ankle or something. But yeah. you know, from the eight or eight thirty start time and then coming in after eleven p.m. Like, like I said, I mean, I've never I've done fifty milers and um, you know you feel exhausted and you feel like you can't go on, but you keep pushing. But like that's a feeling I've never, I've never felt before. Like, um, you have, I mean, I've raced against like cutoffs and stuff like that, but I mean, to be, to be physically exerting yourself in the desert with very little cover or no cover, um, you're practically responsible for all of your hydration and food for the entire day. And, um, it's almost like my body went into like, (laughs) into like shutdown mode or something like I just I couldn't I was hungry but I couldn't eat I felt like I was gonna like start like dry heaving probably because I didn't like I didn't first bonehead mistake was like I didn't eat my sandwich that I packed for that day um and yeah man it was just a culmination of like holy crap I made it but holy crap like I'm just so exhausted right now so yeah and then message to anyone who's run like a hundred miler or something like that like I know that's what like a hundred miler is all about. And just to, just to nail it home a little bit further, like I've absolutely, if I can just declare this right now, I have no intentions or desire to run a hundred miler. It's practically, it's practically that feeling that I had for, you know, 15, another 15 hours or something, you know, like if it takes somebody on average over 30 hours or something to do like a hundred miler. So I don't know. Dude, agreed. <laughs> agreed. Um, I guess the one thing, so I recorded my race report last night, uh, which is, you know, it's funny. Like it took me two hours. Like it's a super long podcast. Um, and then to ask you guys to be like, Hey, can you give me like 10, 20 minutes <laughs> is like, seems totally unfair. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> the one thing that I missed or like I didn't even mention and later I'm like dude why did I not even talk about that was one of my favorite moments from the rest day the beach day is it's when Mm -hmm. we sacrificed your beard to the desert (laughs) yeah yeah 
all along, um, all along, I'd, I'd been like constantly growing the beard. It was like my desert rat beard. Like I just wanted to go into it gnarly and, uh, you know, everyone has different reasons, I guess, or maybe not, but you know, a beard can be a sign of prestige or a sign of, um, people, people grow beards or whatever for different reasons. And I just, I felt like, you know, if I was ultimately going to cut the beard or shave the beard after the trip, like why, why prolong that? And especially after, you know, I'm not, I'm not making this up or anything for the podcast, but especially after getting through the expedition day, I thought like to myself, like what better circumstance than being with like a bunch of like amazing, the, the day that we finished, the day that we ultimately finished with the marathon, you know, Reed took like little bit clips of us declaring that we were now desert rats. And my statement was just ultimately, I've never in, in all the things that I've done, uh, military college rugby, the whole nine yards, like I've never been in a circumstance to be surrounded by just such incredibly inspiring and like awesome people. And, um, I thought what better way than to have like each individual, if they wanted to, to, you know, sacrifice the beard to the trail gods, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it just really, I don't know if anyone else really cared. All t- I mean, it seemed like, <laughs> it seemed like people didn't hesitate to get a good shop at it, but um, <laughs> it, yeah, it was time to, it was time to let it go. So that's awesome, man. It's yeah. almost like, I don't know if you grew it when you signed up for the race or started really growing it out, but it was like, it's almost like it was a reminder of the length of this beard is how hard I worked for this. And now I am pretty much, you know, unless everything goes absolutely wrong on the last day, like I have it in the bag. Yeah. So cool, man. I mean, I was uh, kind of along those lines, but I mean, we were also finishing up this week long adventure with an, with a a complete marathon on Saturday. (laughs) So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking exactly that. Like, man, I really hope I don't crap the bed on the last day. But, you know, I felt, yeah, I just felt like it was, you know, we all, we all work so hard for that. And everybody just had such awesome, you know, everybody I felt like for different reasons could draw inspiration from like different people. And on different days, you may be just by the way, the, the different, um, phases went or whatever um you'd be you'd be matched with different people or you'd run with different people and i I just saw so many you know there were so many wonderful things said at the at the dinner the last night and many times somebody threw me a bar or told me a joke or you know we were just all in there helping each other out whether whether indirectly or directly and um the whole experience was just awesome like that that's one of the main reasons why I was just like, let's, let's sign up for this again. Cause you know, you can do your local community thing, your run, your half marathon, marathon, whatever, but it's like, you don't, I, we even said this in the, in the previous podcast, like we were kind of immersed in that feeling for the duration of the week. There was no, there was no distractions. You know, you even said it with your podcast with Reed, you and I spoke about it. Like all we had to do was just focus on like being present and, it was such a liberating feel, even though we were going through suffering and pain and there's a hundred other things we could or should be doing. 
all we had to do was like suffer together. And, you know, I don't know if that's like the truest, truest definition of like life or the meaning of life or whatever, but like if, if everybody could just feel that feeling, like maybe things would be a lot more simplified. And I don't think that's a selfish feeling. I think when you realize what your intentions are and what your goals are and what you hope to achieve, if we could all be like truer in expressing that to each other, I think things would go a lot smoother. And I think that's why going into the trip, during the trip, after the trip, we all have these feelings of like, you know, where's Chris, where's Paul, where's Tom? You know, we only spent such a short period of time with each other yet. It was so meaningful to each of each and every one of us. So, yeah, dude, 100, 100% agree. That's the biggest takeaway I had too. So awesome, man. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's probably a good place to, to wrap this. Um, you, I have to have you back on the podcast at some point though, for like a full, (laughs) a full deal, you know? Yeah. But what do you got? I I have to tell you, I have to tell you, Chris, man, having only met you in the time that we were out there, having spoken to you before, like you absolutely crushed it. And you (laughs) were one of my most biggest inspirations while we were there. Um, you know, you and Thomas and Bob and, you know, I, I, I think looking in years past, we, we had more finishers than in most recent years. And I think whether that was due to us, us, the, the pack of the guys that were there or not, but I mean, everyone was just so in, in, inspiring, but like you just look at like the top 10 finishers and everyone was just pushing so hard. And I think that that really drove the force of like the whole trip. And I mean, you got to give yourself a hand, man, to, to finish the, the way you did. And like, you know, I don't know if you want to go back and do like try for a sub three. I'm not trying to challenge or a sub 30, but <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying to challenge you, but you, you just, you just did, had a heck of a performance out there, man. Thank you, man. Well, and then I guess yeah. my big thought coming out of camp, I'm like, dude, I think, I truly think you and Thomas just established mm-hmm. the community from day one. Like I just remember getting into camp after the first day and instantly you guys are joking with each other like instantaneously. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that set the mood. Like in my mind, I was like, this is going to be a really fun week because these guys are <laughs> hilarious. I was like, I was like, man, they're acting like they've known each other for years and they can just give each other shit in, in like the nicest mm-hmm. way possible, you know, like the funnest, yeah. nicest way. And I was like, this is going to be so good. And I think like, honestly, like I, I, as I was like reflecting back on, it, I'm like, I think you guys really honestly like set the tone of uh, the community and like, okay, we're all in this together. We're going to joke around, be nice to everybody. Like it's going to be, it's, this is going to be a great trip for all of us. So, mm-hmm. so thank you for that, yeah. man. Like I'm like, honestly, as weird as it sounds, like I feel like I'm a fairly shy person when I get around a group of new people and to have other people who are like way, you know, willing to joke around and stuff. I just am like, oh, yes. And then it makes me comfortable right away. So I think you guys totally <laughs> did that for us. It was amazing. So, oh, wow. Yeah. I, pr- I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. man. And I think uh, f- for the podcast, I think for this episode, the picture I want to use is when you ran into camp on day four. Like, I think that's such a cool picture. Oh man, I don't so. know if that's like the coolest of, the, <laughs> of all the shots, but <laughs> I think it captures it though because it shows everyone teaming up, 
you know, I don't know. It just, for me, I was like, oh, that totally just captures the experience, you know? So. Yeah. I was thinking about the one where I, I didn't even see the picture, um, but the one where I was, I was lathering um, Thomas's legs in the suntan lotion. I thought that would really make a great one. <laughs> I'm trying to see it. Like, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> that'll be the, that, that definitely <laughs> will be for sure. Or when Thomas yeah. and I were under the waterfall. Uh, and Glenn made a statement. Yeah, that, well, that's off. a great one too. I mean, I think that would definitely get a lot of a lot of clicks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but all right, man. Well, hey, dude, come out to Colorado sometime. Seriously, like you have a free place to stay, so you know. Well, I, I'll have to come out before Desert Rats Part Two. Hell yeah! Sounds good, dude. <laughs> we'll see ya. All right, Chris. Yeah, see you, Phil. All right. Take care. Yeah, you too. Bye. All right, huge, huge, huge congrats to Phil for just being an awesome person and doing such a great job during this adventure. Um, The next racer, I would say out of everybody, he definitely went through the most physical adversity, Um, and you'll hear his story in a second. And it's, it's scary. It's intimidating. I mean, it's the story of what could possibly go wrong when you're in the middle of the desert and a lot went wrong when he was in the middle of these two extremely long sections during the expedition day. Um, and we're just so thankful that everything's okay. And as he was describing this story, I was kind of sh- shaking in fear cause I knew something had, had happened to him, but I hadn't heard the full story. Um, but he gets he got to the end of it and he's signed up again for next year because he's not backing down and i can't think of something more inspirational than someone getting back up after they've been beat down by a race and looking at it right in the face and saying i'm going to take you on again so here we go this is mickey uh cedarberg would be just getting through that second day um the second day was rough for me um i we we got lost and we kind of fell in the back of the pack and i was back there with mikey and amy and it was just hot and brutal that one climb um coming up to that eighth station i can't remember the mile marker but there was the big climb on the second day um that was pretty rough and i was back there all by myself and i remember reese he was picking up flags and he come by me on the bike and he rode with me for about an hour or so. And that was pretty high because um, I got to talk to the race director for like an hour. That was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. <laughs> and, uh, and then not only that, we connected in a way where he was big into wrestling. My kid just started wrestling. So just finding out about the other side of their life, that was extremely high and what they do. Uh, and, and it just continued on when I ran into Amy. Um, we both knew we wouldn't make the cutoff, and we were, um, I can't remember how many miles we were into it. We are probably about 26 miles into it, um, and we both, we knew we wouldn't make the cutoff, and we met each other at a very rough point where it was, we were just both struggling, and uh, I came across her, and that was the greatest, just coming across somebody else. It was like, wow, now I get to suffer with someone else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that was awesome. Um, that was a pretty good high. And again, just hearing about their lives outside of ultra running, what they do. Um, she's a sports writer, and 
um, to me, that was just amazing hearing about the things that inspired them, why they're there. It has nothing to do with ultra running. And to me, that, that, that was the biggest high. Yeah. And, and it wasn't just those individuals. It was everybody. Um, so. Yeah, man. Well, it's funny, like, you know, walking and wandering through the desert alone for an extended amount of time and then just seeing another person. You're like, I didn't know I could want to see another person so badly. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So, yeah, and it's funny you talk, and the other two guys I've I've interviewed at this point, they talked about the same thing. I talked about the same thing. Like, the sense of community between the racers was just so powerful. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And just, you, no matter how many times you do it, I think you learn something new, and everybody is so different. There's no, like, you know, um, their stories are so different. It's always so new. Um, and to me, it's just, that's why it's kind of addictive. You want to keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, so let's get into the low moment, which I have a feeling I know what it is possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, that would be on day four, uh, the 41 mile leg and, um, going into it, you know, since the second day I kind of struggled and I didn't make the cutoff. Um, the following day was a nine mile leg. I kind of hammered down on that and felt some redemption. It's like, okay. You know, um, I felt like I, you know, I could actually complete a leg and run strong. So that day started off wonderful. Um, the first six miles, I was running great, and we were in the first group, so I was up near the front. So that felt kind of cool. Um, and again, feeling strong all the way up to probably right before the 17 mile aid station. Probably about two miles before that, I started feeling pretty rough. Um, coming down in that canyon that's, and, that's right where i saw you and i was gonna yeah. say like i was like you looked pretty strong at that point i thought yeah I, and i was on a mission that day because I, I you know i didn't fit i didn't uh, make the cut off that second day so i was pretty pumped and was like in my mind no matter what it takes i'm going to finish this day um so i, I from, from the start i was pretty riled up to make sure i get to that line no matter what so Got to the 17 mile, and I felt really more dizzy than I ever had. And I immediately just laid down, hung out at the aid station for about, probably about 20, 25 minutes, watched a lot of people go through, and then I started to have the debate, should I go on? Because like, I said, am I going to hit that point, <laughs> or yeah. am I just stuck out there? And I'll never forget Vivian going, get up, stop thinking about it, run. And Vivian <laughs> pretty much got me up and said, get your butt out there. <laughs> And so her and I kind of just synced up right there and there. She says, you know, I don't like to talk much, but I like having somebody run around me. So we just kind of played leapfrog for several hours there, several miles. And uh, I think I was getting close to mile 30, somewhere two miles, about mile 28. On that climb, I started feeling tons of uh, little hammers in my uh, chest, like a halo around my head and my hands sat down and it hit me hard got up and said hey i gotta keep pushing and then i felt my stomach kind of twisting and like felt like it was all touching itself oh my um, God. so i kept going for about two more miles and i think i got about probably about two miles from the finish and i laid down and in that that sensation of those those hammers whereas my chest my hands my hands clenched up my mouth clenched up and I thought, well, I need to get some food. So I pulled out my peanut butter. And by at that point, the peanut butter has turned to soup because <laughs> it was so hot. Yeah. I spilt it all over my face. <laughs> I couldn't move my mouth because everything seized up. And I started hyperventilating. So 
so I'm just laying there in the dirt and uh, thinking, okay, what the hell's going to happen here? Kept seeing this giant yellow butterfly um, flying around my head, um, and, and I started hyperventilating. I was thinking, well, how long can I go breathing like this? And that sensation in my chest kept getting worse, and the stomach twisting got worse. And so then um, I was like, okay, Tyler's going to come up. And I just remembered early in the week, um, uh, like two days ago, um, his dog was roaming around the camp, and Cheryl was there with me, and the dog came up to me, and, and Cheryl goes, I said, hey, can, does, can we feed this dog? And so I fed the dog some food, and Tyler goes, comes up behind me and goes, uh, uh, please don't feed my dog. <laughs> <laughs> and it made me feel like crap the whole week. Oh, so I no. just laying there. The first thing I had to do was when Tyler comes up, I had to apologize for feeding his dog. <laughs> so, so Tyler rolled up. The first thing I said, I was so concerned about it. And I'm sure, I don't know how he understood me because my mouth was not working. And I just told him, I was like, hey, I'm so sorry I fed your dog. Could you please go get me help? <laughs> so I had to make sure I apologized to him first. Um, and Tyler was amazing. It was just seeing him out there. I probably laid there on the ground for an hour. Oh, um, man. And, I, and there was a point where I was like, okay, how much more of this can I take? Um, I couldn't move. My hands were stuck. Um, but when he came along, he said, hey, I don't want to leave you, and I shouldn't leave you. He goes, but I got to. I got to get up and get help. And so he he rode two miles, um, and he had to fly. I mean, he, he, it was quick that they came back down and got me. Andrea and the medics and uh, when they came up to me they asked if I vomited because I had peanut butter all over my face oh, no. and my shirt <laughs> and uh, so they initially started their work on me um, and, and I was kind of delirious I didn't couldn't answer their questions I was really agitated and uh, so what the first thing they was they gave me sodium and that kind of I had sodium I didn't have salt pills I was eating uh, beef jerky um, and of course, throughout the whole week, I was doing salt tablets and so on. Um, and that sodium they gave me kind of put me over my limit. And uh, that's when some weird quivering started happening with my back and my spine. Um, and I just I just started getting more delirious. And that was one of the big things of hypertremia is you get very delirious. And uh, they made the call to get me out of there and get me to the hospital. And uh, at the hospital, they said like. Um, you're, so, you're supposed to be about 135 to 145 for sodium. Um, I came in at 156. Oh, jeez. So they immediately thought the halo around my head, that's the blood vessels in my head, um, swollen up. So they thought, okay, does he have bleeding in the brain? So, they, you know, did CAT scans. And then um, the ribo too was a big issue. My kidneys were stressed. My liver was really re- releasing the enzyme that indicated that there was a lot of stress in my organs. Um, so... I hung out there for two days and uh, a lot of time to reflect <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> on the race. And this is kind of a high, too, because I, I laid there thinking, I hate this race. Why did I want to do this again? You know, I was like, this sucked. And, and not completing it, that's just the worst feeling in the world. So I was pretty down. And at the mid, um, I got out just in time to come back to watch a finish. I got out. We had 15 minutes to get up there. And who do I see come finishing? That's Amy, who, who I ran with before who, uh, you know, didn't finish the leg just like me, but still persevered and finished the whole race. That got my spirits up. And then, of course, the final night, seeing you and your family and everybody there and all the stories, 
I was like, I'm in. Someone asked me, are you going to run next year? And I said, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, man. So, um, you know, I'm going to finish this race. So kind of my low is my high yeah. at the end of the day. Um, it absolutely was. And since that race, I've never felt better physically, mentally. Um, I've been running great and uh, just been happier because I took myself to the limit and I know I can go much further. But there's also the opportunity to do this again next year and see if I can finish this. Yeah, that's great, man. So. Well, I have a, I have a few questions, like so many questions because, you know, I remember seeing you at camp day four, like with an IV. And then it was probably like right before they took you to the hospital. And, you know, I was like, I'm not going to walk up to him like, hey, man, what happened? <laughs> so really, we're the whole rest of the week. We're like, I hope Mickey's OK. You know, have we have you heard anything? And we're asking the doctors and stuff. But I didn't get the full story. So this is all like obviously I knew something happened, but I, I'm not I wasn't 100 percent sure what it was. So um, first of all, like, what do you think initially led to you feeling bad? Um, one, well, I mean, the, the, obviously day after day of the running caught up with me. Um, I was drinking plenty of fluids. Um, in my mind, and I asked the doctors this, I kept getting a bites. I thought, is this a reaction? Why I was having that sensation in my arms, my chest. And then that folding the stomach freaked me out. So looking back, like the one of the things that triggered all this was I kind of freaked out because of that folding in my stomach and I started hyperventilating. Okay. And since so I was at such a weakened state, I couldn't control it no more. So it just you just kind of went over that red line of you can no longer you no longer have the resiliency to bring yourself back because yeah. I was already dehydrated. And I took my temperature when I came in, I was 104. So um, the heat, I mean, it was such a combination of different stuff. But they think you know, talking to doctor, that I kind of freaked out when those that stomach folded. Um, and no one really knows what that is. They say sometimes that's your organs moving to water in your body or to the nutrients. Um, that was one of the theories the doctors had, why we have that. But uh, um, I think I just freaked out over that, and that just kind of put me over the top. And that's why I seized up because of hyperventilating. And then when they gave me the sodium, and I don't blame them because when they come across somebody who's delirious, they don't always have the right information or they, don't, they can't get the right information. So they treat you what they normally do, which is lack of salt. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, as soon as I got that salt, um, they could no longer monitor me and know exactly how high my levels are. So gotcha. um, at the end of the day, I think just kind of freaking out over, you know, my stomach turning the way it was kind of started that downhill uh, ball. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, that's so scary. To, I mean, there were those two sections of 12 miles where yeah. that was the most remote and like out there that the whole entire race got and to have something go wrong in those two sections is really really scary you know <laughs> yeah i remember uh when i left a station 17 i'll forget glenn and i asked him I was like hey and i knew things weren't right i think it, my stomach was turning before that the uh, yeah, other one and i mentioned it to him you know to some of the medic staff that was there i asked glenn i said hey should I go forward? He goes, Hey, that's a bad place to get in trouble. Yeah. And of course, Vivian got me out the door. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'll be honest, I'm so glad I did. I, I don't regret it yeah. whatsoever. So, yeah, definitely. So, I guess my, uh, I got like my another question is when you were laying down on the trail 
and the medics, the sweeper, he passes you, and then medics come down to get you. How do they get you? Like, did they drive their car down? Was there a road? I'm trying to remember. Or did you yeah. have to walk? Yeah, um, Andrea and I think uh, Corey drove their car down, um, and they, they treated me right there in the dirt. Gotcha. Um, with IVs and did, I mean, they were fantastic. Um, tried to get me to calm down, um, you know, and they immediately put me in their car, drove me to base camp, <coughs> and uh, you know, from there they made an assessment. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, made the assessment that uh, I needed to go to the hospital. Wow. Wow, man. They were so good. There was such a professional medical staff on this race. So it's, you know, it's just props to to Reed and Kyla for hiring such, like, competent people, you know. Because that, like, that could have been a very bad situation. And, like, looking back now that you're okay, it's, like, it's a it's something we can look back on. And be like, okay, like, we can learn from that. And you know, learn to even enjoy some of it that I went through it. But like, I'm just, we're really glad it, it all worked out, man. A- absolutely. And the doctors, <laughs> when I talked to them, they said this was extremely rare, which is why they, they kind of hung on me for two days. Gotcha. Um, Cause you know, trying to come out of it, they basically got to filter your system yeah. with fluids and that takes time. Um, but looking back, um, you know, we spend, you know, we, we come there and we kind of, get all of our levels, you know, our electrolytes up and our salt and our water up to run. And then we, we don't know how much we deplete each day. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard you know? to, to figure that out, especially in the desert where you're not even noticing yourself sweating really. Exactly. And so, you know, I think, you know, for me looking back, what I'm going to do different is, um, one, a lot more heat training and, and trying to figure out the signs of my body, you know, if it's low salt, electrolytes, you know, potassium, calcium, you know, what is it I need and learning that more. So definitely going to have to think about that a lot more in my training. Um, you know, there's a lot of wisdom that goes into this stage racing that I'd never expected. Yeah. Wow, man, dude, what a, what a crazy story. And I'm so glad, like, I'm, I'm super excited to, to run with you next year, man. Oh yeah, me too. Absolutely. And, um, I'm going to be deploying soon to Kuwait, so I'm definitely going to be getting some heat training done. So. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm definitely going to have some of my heat training ready to go. That's so. awesome, man. Well, I'm I'm very excited to, to run with you and see you next year. The next racer we're talking about is this just incredible runner from Maryland, Rachel Ridgeway. Um, she had a lot of struggles day four as well, which I guess is kind of becoming the common theme of this podcast the expedition stage was was very difficult um but the the courage and the bravery to stick with it when the race isn't necessarily going your way and you know you could technically just quit after any stage you wanted to but to be like okay even though i had a rough day yesterday I'm still going to step up to the start line and see where it goes the next day. Um, And she kicked so much butt during the marathon stage. I remember seeing her out there and just thinking to myself, man, Rachel is, is back. Like she's feeling it after, after having kind of a rough week. So uh, here is Rachel's story. Thinking about the whole entire week, 
what was a high moment that really stood out and then what was a low moment that really stood out oh boy well i think mine are probably um related definitely related i mean and i'll start with the low point um the low point being like days one through five (laughs) not not really all of them um but like i just i really struggled trying to get my eating and drinking down right um and and it wasn't working and so i was just so depleted and had nothing in me and that day expedition day was the absolute worst where i thought okay i got this i i got some food in my belly i'm good and um, and I, I tend to mix up like this special little drink that has calories and, and well, electrolytes and all this fun stuff in it, but it's hard to mix up. So I would just mix it up in the morning, throw it in my bag. And then when I had it all day, so I always had a constant supply of fuel and it wasn't tasting right. And then the, the, when I went to refill with the, on the expedition day with the, with the stuff in, my, in the back of my bag, it was just like fermented and gross and I was going to barf. So when you mentioned seeing me on the side of the road, like, yeah, I was literally just moving like shrub bush to shrub bush, trying to find shade because I had no energy. I've never just felt like just awful like that. Like I literally couldn't even walk. And that's so unlike me. I, 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 you know, can normally just gut out anything. And I just, I had nothing left. And that was a terrible feeling. And especially with those like, 12 miles in between, I thought, yeah, if I literally pack out here, like, we'll just have to wait for the vultures to start circling before they find me. Like, they'll they'll never find my body. So I was happy to tap out when I did um, because I I knew physically I couldn't make it any further, Um, especially in that next 12 miles, you know, of more just desolate conditions with nothing out there. So anyway, so that was definitely the worst, just feeling like I I literally couldn't do it Um, because mentally I had it in me. Physically, I didn't. And it's usually the exact opposite. So anyway, moving on to the highlight then was the marathon day. After taking a day and relaxing, and I found that they had a secret stash of the ramen noodles. I was like, fill me up with ramen noodles. I ate nothing but those. I (laughs) I boiled some. And put them in my pack for marathon day. And I was literally just slurping noodles out of a Ziploc bag all the way. And I felt like a million bucks. (laughs) And it was such a turnaround. And the course was beautiful. And I loved, like, you know, with the out and back sections, you could see all your friends. And, I like, that was my absolute favorite day. I I got my mojo back that day. And I got to see all my friends succeeding. And it was fabulous. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, so you were mentioning, like, just not being able to eat what like what do you think caused that well i you know part of it was the heat the other part is like i i for years i had um digestive issues and so i you know when i'm at home i eat the same three meals every day literally like i i very rarely like stray and so all those the food that the chef was making was fabulous like it was, it was almost like too fancy, too spicy, too this, too that. So yeah. like, I just needed that my like my plain and simple breakfast that I eat every day. I needed my plain and simple lunch. Like I, I just needed that, and um, so I think that was so. I, I just kept taking in less and less calories, and that's totally stupid. Yeah. <laughs> like you can't do that <laughs> and run at all, much less run like ultra marathons every day in the desert. So 
you know, it got to the point on the expedition day where I would take a sip of water and immediately spit it out. Like I, wow. I couldn't even swallow water. It got really weird like that. And I'm like, well, this is like physically that I can't maintain this. So yeah, it just, it started early on and it just, I thought maybe that, um, day three on the sprint day, which was not a sprint for me at all. Cause I thought, okay, this is the day we have super long cutoffs. I'm just going to walk it and just let today be my rest day. And even that didn't feel good. So yeah, I knew the wheels were coming off the bus, and on Thursday, like I got four flat tires. Yeah, well, it was, it's funny you know, though, cause like around camp, I maybe I'm just completely like I, I can't. I'm not observant apparently because I could not. I didn't know you were struggling with that kind of stuff. I guess. Yeah. Eh. Well. Yeah, I mean, it's not something you're like, hey, guess what, guys? I didn't eat anything today. Like, <laughs> I would tell Phil some of that stuff or, like, you'd be like, hey, I ate, like, 20 goo today. How many do you have? I'm like, none. I don't – I can't eat goo. Like, it's gross. I don't like it. So, um, yeah. So, I, you know, I would share with a few people, and Anne became – Anne and I became good friends on the trail because she was usually, like, in or around or near me somewhere. And so, you know, it's just, you, you make friends and talk about certain things and, and um, help each other out. Yeah. So did did anyway, she? I got did, her all fixed up. Yeah. Did she have any advice for you? Because I know she's done a whole bunch of crazy stuff too. Um. I mean, you know, it's it's the basic advice that you would tell yourself, like, yeah. oh, you got to eat something, okay? But yeah, if it doesn't eat, like, I couldn't even, uh, you know, eat a piece of bread, then that's not good. So anyway, I started, you know, just asking the chef, hey, can I just have a piece of bread? Can I just have, you know, this? And don't cook it. Don't do anything. So I started you know, asking for things and they were happy to provide it. So it was dumb of me not to ask for things sooner that are just like plain and simple. Just eat it. So yeah, definitely. Well, lesson learned. Yeah. So I guess coming from the East coast, what was something about running in the West that was different? And obviously like there's going to be like the dryness and, you know, but what was something like, was there anything you didn't expect you're like, oh, I didn't even realize. Um, most of it, most of it, I expected. Um, what I, what I kind of forgotten, and it goes along with the dryness, is like I am a, like I am a terrible sweater. Like I, I, I start to walk across a room and I break out into a sweat. <laughs> so like, to me, running in Maryland or on the East Coast, like I'm dripping wet by mile one, and that was so cool there like I was sweating but it evaporated so fast that yeah. I'm like I've never finished with like dry shorts on or you know, <laughs> so that was actually quite uh, delightful I mean I but the, I, on the flip side I was probably losing more fluids than I knew because you know when you're sweating so much here you're like oh I'm dripping wet I better replenish but you know out west I didn't really um I enjoyed not being super sweaty but I probably lost a lot of fluids yeah I just remember day one looking at my shirt and it was like there were white speckles everywhere from salt. And I was like, whoa, because uh, I was the yeah. same way where I was like, yeah. I'm I'm not sweating that much. And then I was like, oh, my God, you sweated yeah. so much. <laughs> you don't even so realize bad. it. Yeah. So bad. Wow, yeah. that's that's cool. So what I've been telling everybody after doing this race, um, you know, obviously there there was a there's like the thing about the community, the community was just unbelievable, but Moab in just the city of Moab, there are so many cool things to do there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm glad, like, I wish we had spent more time there, like you and your family did. 
um, afterward. I mean, it was dumb just to get on a plane and come back uh, or like preloaded it and stayed a few more days before the race started. Um, but we had a day or two just to run around and do like touristy stuff and had an absolute blast and will absolutely go back. Yeah. I'm hoping, um, you know, you'll interview Sam and because she has a house there and was talking about all this adventure stuff that she wants to put together and have friends come camp in her backyard. I'm like, count me in. I will Ooh. totally come back and do that because it's such a beautiful area and I have days worth of, you know, exploring to do still. Oh, yeah. That was the thing. I was like, man, there's like, you could entertain yourself for months out here and I mean, maybe even years oh, yeah. and not do the same thing twice. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, I would love to go back. Yeah, that's cool. So what's uh, what's one, like, what's what's something, like, a takeaway from the experience that either you expected or didn't expect? And I know you, you uh, talked about that you lost your mojo for a bit, but, I've, but I, yeah. I'm, I'm hopeful that you found it. <laughs> yes, I did. I did find my mojo back this weekend. It, it took a week or two. That's good. Um, yeah, I, I literally, I've never had my body just, crap out on me like that um before so um you know something you said in in one of your last podcasts was like you know control what you can control i couldn't control the heat or the the terrain or any of that but i i should have done better controlling what i was doing with my body and i and i didn't so that's that's a really important lesson yeah and that's so i will definitely take that moving forward yeah that's cool though like it is i mean it sucks in the moment but it's good to learn those kind of lessons that you can apply because i mean oh, yeah. like you said you're doing the yeti 100 in a couple of months like guaranteed you're gonna have lessons that you learned on this thing that you're applying to that so yes Which yes is- and not just for me but like from everybody else in their experiences too you know you, we all had little take homes and what to do and you know you talk to people at aid stations and what was going right and what was not going right and so you definitely learn through other people too yeah definitely well rachel thank you for sharing on the podcast <laughs> i know you you're welcome you had some like i remember you're like i sound like kermit the frog i'm like no you don't what are you talking about <laughs> i think we can no, all totally agree don't. that you totally do not sound like kermit the frog Oh, well, thank you. And you could do my... As I try to use my very, very... Um, I'm not. I'm using my Kermit-free voice. Or trying to. Yeah, I'll use my voice like this. <laughs> well, or you could do my strategy, which is just never listen. Try not to listen as much as possible. Yeah, I could... Yes, yes, I might try that, actually. Yeah. But no, I have to. Because honestly, like... Okay, the biggest thing from all of this, and I'm sure everyone's going to say the same thing, was the friendships and yeah. the community like i figured i'd meet other people like we're all we all have to be like a little wrong in the head to do something like this and so i knew i would get along with people but i, but I didn't think i would like like them <laughs> so <laughs> i i adored everybody on this trip and if anything you know when i talk to people about oh would you do it again i'm like i would go hang out with those people and run with them any day of the week but i'm not doing you know I'm, yeah. i i i knock on wood i'm not doing that race again <laughs> but anytime anywhere i will talk with you run with you do whatever because everyone there was fantastic that's so cool i feel the exact same way it was that was yeah and that was the most surprising thing i feel like afterwards yeah it's like wow man i just i feel so close everyone's i mean this is what like two weeks later everyone's still messaging each other um almost daily and like it's it's just it's a really 
it was just a crazy i think phil posted something about finding a tribe and i was like wow man you totally oh summed boy. it up yeah <laughs> yeah that's true which that's was true so cool all right rachel you rock i can't wait to run with you again in the future um keep keep kicking serious butt on the east coast right now uh the next racer is someone who is just such an amazing human being uh and i feel really connected with him after this week in the desert and i just he just is an incredible person uh thomas mullins he i learned so much so i learned so much throughout the entire race but thomas was so open with his uh race advice strategies um <laughs> how to put suntan lotion on uh and seriously i think i think he was one of the bonding factors between the whole entire camp at least from my perspective where i was like oh he's he's the person that's bringing this fun lighthearted experience um to this adventure and i'm very thankful that i got to run with him i'm so incredibly thankful i got to learn from him because I felt stronger as the week went on, but a lot of that is because I was applying the lessons uh, Thomas taught me throughout the week. So thanks, man. First of all, I wanted to just all all week. I was like, I just want to go up to Thomas and be like, dude, are you contractually obligated to wear a cowboy hat and, <laughs> since you're from Texas? <laughs> right hey man work smarter not harder i grew up with that thing on <laughs> i go everywhere with it i feel like if i bought because i was so tempted on our vacation to buy a cowboy hat but i was like if i buy one i will feel like the biggest poser of all time no man you got to go for it you got to go for it and just wear it with confidence <laughs> uh and swagger you know that's your style that's your calling card yeah um i started using it you know just to protect myself from the sun it's light it's airy and uh easy to carry around you know and they're just so cheap yeah yeah were you ever worried about it like flying off when it got windy no not at all that's why i have that stampede string on it oh, okay and that way you know you just cinch it down and i've never lost it not one time and as a matter of fact on the entire run it never came off my head uh, one time and you know we were we were being bashed in by tumbleweeds and dirt devils there at some sections of the race yeah man they didn't even come off at camp that was the coolest part <laughs> <laughs> i've never seen your hair no i'm just kidding <laughs> keep your cowboy on no i i have hair i'm not bald underneath it <laughs> yeah that's awesome dude so yeah man that was that was something I was just, I was like, I want to ask him this question, but like I, Texans take their cowboy hats seriously. So, you know, I don't know how to, how to approach the subject. So <laughs> the hat is kind to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, so just a couple things, dude, like I learned a whole bunch from you during this race. So I want to thank you for that. Like the whole pacing, your like the pacing you use that strategy over the long day was like why I felt so good the last couple of days, I think. So, uh, and it was evident because you actually got stronger. Yeah. Be because you weren't redlining and pushing so hard. I felt like, and it was really impressive. 
as those next couple of days came along, how strong and consistent you stayed, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, I felt really good the last couple of days, so... But, um, and then the other thing you taught everybody at camp was the sunscreen. <laughs> Which, uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I wonder if, uh, Jim and I was worried about us going to, uh, burn through all their <laughs> sunscreen. <laughs> <laughs> Cause you just dump oh. it on your leg and you're like, if it accumulates dirt, that's going to be even better. <laughs> hey man so true it covers up it makes it more dense right yeah and it helps protect against that chafing you know just rub it wherever you think you might have those hot spots and uh it it actually works you know yeah. it's a uh, proven and worked for me and protecting yourself from that sun uh that sun can be insane and really drain your performance so it made a huge difference i didn't even get a sunburn you that's know at awesome. all that's so cool man so you've done a whole bunch of like bigger events um like bigfoot and i know you said you did another stage race how does this one compare to those other like big time ultra endurance events well this one was still a different animal from bigfoot bigfoot you know you're running 200 miles they pop the gun off and there's no break you know you don't get to cruise into camp and freshen up and eat a hot meal by a gourmet chef and all that good stuff and sleep and your cozy little tent and wake up and have a breakfast it's go 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 you know you're racing against the clock so you're constantly moving you're getting very little sleep um so that's the greatest challenge you know with running those 200s and then running the other stage race trans pecos ultra down in big bend texas you know that was the traditional stage so you had to carry all of your own equipment and gear. Um, as with Desert Rats, you don't have to do that. You know, they move your gear every day for you. You carry just the race nutrition you need for that day. So your pack is definitely much lighter, um, and you're able to move faster and not such a beat down. And you don't really have to plan the logistics of your day-to-day -day nutrition uh, as much. You know, yeah. you can... Yeah. just pull it as necessary as you go along but this race it, it it had its own challenges unique challenges as well uh the heat uh but we did catch a bit of a break as you know it wasn't uh too terribly hot but we came in and out of a couple of hot pockets and the heat did affect a few of the racers you know um and their feet and you saw that as well i think uh maybe even had a couple of blisters on there yeah yeah, dude, the feet thing was crazy. How like did you you just you seemed like you didn't I don't want to say you didn't struggle cuz I'm sure you struggled, but it seemed like you were doing felt pretty good the whole week. Yep, definitely felt great the whole week taking care nutritionally. I tell you my really I didn't have much of an appetite like I thought I would. I don't know if it was the heat, uh the excitement of things, uh but you know, I would have thought I would eating a lot more at night, but I just didn't have that appetite. But, you know, I never bonked or felt weak or anything like that. Uh, my feet were spotless. I kept them clean all week. I didn't get so much as a blister. Uh, but I did do a lot of preventative. Yeah. Um, every aid station, I would sit down. It'd take me about six minutes. Take my shoes off, pop off the socks, pull out my 
soles, the inserts in my shoes, and shake all that sand and dirt out, you know, just to prevent any blister opportunity from uh, arising. Yeah. Uh, and that paid off huge, huge Did, dividends, man. you know. So I didn't have to battle that pain of blisters. Oh, gosh, I don't yeah. want that. <laughs> I remember day two, man, like passing uh like at the aid station, like running into you at the aid station. Eventually you passed me and just kicked my ass that day. But uh, I remember you sitting down, taking your shoe off, and you had a pocket knife in your mouth. Like what were you, what were you trying to do at that point? Were you doing some – were you fixing your shoe up at that point? No. we what, That first aid station was like five and a half, six miles yeah. in. And as soon as we left the start line, I noticed uh, a hot spot on my heel where the sock was – uh, making contact i didn't know if it was my sock or my gator and before we got to that aid station i think i stopped three times to take off that shoe and sock and address the issue and i could not get it figured out so when i cruised in uh, to kyla there i thought i've got to look at this real close and take the time well during that here comes grim reaper everyone passed me and i was actually in dead last no way i was dead last and I saw Grim Reaper, and I was like, oh, my God, what are you doing here? And he was like, uh, you're the last one, bro. And I was like, oh, no. Yeah. But what had happened, the heel of my sock, and they were brand-new socks, actually, had completely come unraveled, and that's what was cutting into my heel. So I had to ditch the socks, and what, did Kyla, or did I actually have an extra pair of socks? Oh, no. I popped on a blister patch okay. to protect myself from it. That's what I did. And Kyla also gave me a spare set of, uh, I think, pink socks just in case I needed them. <laughs> but fortunately, I didn't need them, and uh, that's what the pocket knife was about. I was cutting and fashioning that uh, blister patch to protect from that hot spot. That's awesome, man. What, like, if you're like reflecting back on the week, can you kind of share a high point and a low point? And like I said, from my perspective, I'm like, dude, Thomas doesn't have a low point. But uh, <laughs> was you know what was like a, a challenging part of the race for you? Um, gosh, I just don't remember ever being low at yeah. any one point. If it, if there were a low point, I think it was when I saw others suffering, yeah, a great deal. Um and struggling to get through the heat, exhaustion, um, foot issues, uh, different things like that. Uh, I surprisingly, good timing, good training, put it all together, and didn't have much of a low point. That's awesome. The high man. points, oh, there were too many uh, yeah. you know, to mention. <laughs> but I would say um, the highest point for me involved you. And that's when we were on the last day running out on the Porcupine Rim. And, uh, of course, we were all running together and trying to get that sub-30-hour finish. And, you know, we have the, the rock that's out there with your name on it <laughs> that you got to bring back. And, of course, we had a little extra rock for Thomas, yeah, a big it, one. <laughs> I would call it a boulder almost. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll call it that. Um, and I... I, I had a gut feeling that that's what was going to happen, and <laughs> that was no light rock, as you uh, recall. And uh, I already had big plans for you. Uh, you were running along with me, and 
uh, I thought, you know, I was going to include Jay on that too, (laughs) but he got away from us, (laughs) but, um, smashing that rock to pieces and then asking you to help me lug this burden back to the aid station. Uh, and you gladly obliged, you know, you, you didn't hesitate. You were willing to help me carry that heavy rock all the way back. And I don't think the race guys were expecting us to break it up and, you know, do teamwork on it yeah. to get it back. But I thought that was really special and uh, kind of you. You know, we ran together on that last day and pushed each other and uh, took good care of each other. But Dude. I would say that was probably the highest point. for. Oh, sure. yeah, that was definitely one of mine, too. Like that last day. I just, I just was like, my mission is to see, make sure Thomas, like to admit, to see you get under five hours. And I was like, I'm, I want to see it, you know, I want to be with him and like watch him finish under five hours. And I know he's going to just totally kick butt. And, and for, I don't know, it's just, it was such a cool race because you, you're genuinely rooting for everyone to be as successful as they possibly can be. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a just a great dynamic group dynamic you couldn't have picked a better group of people to go running across the desert out there like you said everyone for everyone rooting cheering on supporting laughing and you know crying together at times it was just fantastic it was so cool man and now you have that sweet rock as a memento I do. <laughs> also, I have to say when you when you're like, I got a plan, and I was like, then you threw it on the ground and smashed it, and I was like, oh, his plan is just to smash this rock. <laughs> <laughs> the cowboy hat has lost his mind, <laughs> oh, man. dude. I have to also give you props. Like you go, you when you're in race mode, you're like so incredibly focused. It's really cool to see. It's very rare I go there anymore. Okay. You know, you're so young. You know, you got a long way to go. Um, you know, I feel like at 45, I'm just out there to have a good time and meet new folks, see new land. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not that competitive. Yeah. But, you know, when you're trying to make a time cutoff um, and the under 30 hour uh, award, I didn't even know that was a thing. But I was like, oh, I got to get this, yeah. you know. Uh, so I was really motivated and fired up and you and Jay flanked both sides of me front and back. And y'all were like, we're going to get this done. Yeah. <laughs> and we did. That was so awesome, man. It was, it was really, yeah, it was just such a neat experience to, uh, to like share with, with a group of people for sure. Yeah, it was but, awesome. But at, I talked to Phil this morning and I'll tell you the same thing. Like, I honestly think that the whole camp, like it, when I was thinking about like day one, I was thinking like the camp came together so fast and like everyone was joking and laughing and having a good time, which is what we're out there for ultimately. Mm-hmm. But I was like, man, I think I would give so much props to you and Phil because instantly, as soon as I got into camp on day one, you guys were like, like joking around with each other and I was like it just brought the mood up like right away established like oh this is gonna be like a super fun time yeah well it was what y'all made it easy my god (laughs) it was just so much fun to have you around you know you were kind of new at all of this yeah there was Bob uh, the antics of Bob antics of Bob man (laughs) his finish line 
were crazy awesome to watch, you know. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, Uncle Paul. You know, we had a we had a great group of guys and gals in there. Yeah, definitely, dude. It was a blast. So, well, awesome, man. Thank you for sharing that for the podcast. Do you have any other stories you feel like definitely uh, definitely need to be shared? Whew, man, there's just so many. I tell you what was really interesting and I thoroughly enjoyed was the awards banquet um, at, what was the name of that place? McStiffs? Eddie McStiffs. <laughs> Eddie McStiffs. I'm going to make sure I got that right. <laughs> um, how uh, Reed opened up the floor for everyone to share um, something that they learned or uh, experienced that week uh, within themselves um, or with someone else. And the, to hear the stories, the heartfelt stories, uh, people stand up and tell about the experiences they went through and their lows and their highs. And, and of course, there were a lot of tears shed, yeah. you know. Um, and I think that's always special. And uh, that's something I'll always remember is how these folks came together and were so willing to open themselves up, you know, not just emotionally, spiritually, and physically, you know, on just so many different levels. And then to that, by far the best volunteer crew I've ever been around. And you know this, how helpful they were and supportive. They were just fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, man. That there It was such a high-quality event. I can't, like, sing its praises enough. It was a good... Um, and I miss it. I've, I've been going through a bit of withdrawal. I'm not gonna I, I think we probably all are, dude. <laughs> Everyone's like messaging each other on Facebook like constantly throughout the day. And I'm like, ah, oh, I think we're all feeling the same thing right now, which is kind of funny. So Lives were changed. There's no doubt about dude, that. Dude, mine you was know. for sure, man. I it, it meant so much to me. It was it was such an amazing experience. So. Oh, Chris, it was just great to see you yeah. grow the way you did and uh, the way you experienced all of that. And yeah, man. You made it a lot of fun for everybody. Uh-huh. We thoroughly Thanks. enjoyed you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Um, sweet, man. Well, I'll, we'll wrap up the podcast right here. So, but uh, All right, last but not least, uh, I'm chatting with Paul Shearing. Paul was another person I spent a lot of hours with during the race. Um, day one and two, we... We ran a lot together and day two for me was the hardest day and I was just very, very happy that I had someone to share in my misery. (laughs) No, uh, it's more like to distract in my misery Um, and Paul was that person and he, I mean, this is almost going to sound repetitive because like I said, I just... I just admire all of these people so much and I'm hoping that comes across because I couldn't imagine a better group of people to run through the desert with and camp out with and have an adventure with. And, you know, man, I've had a lot of solo adventures, uh, a lot, you know, during training runs, you're out there by yourself and you, you get into some situations and it's adventurous and it's exciting And then you go back and you try to tell people and they're like, yeah, that's cool. Um, But none of that can live up to a shared adventure, to the the shared experience of going through something challenging together. And, you know, I've realized this through adventure racing with some of my best friends, 
uh, climbing mountains. Like climbing a mountain's fun, but climbing a mountain with another person is one of the greatest things you can possibly do on earth. Uh, and because we shared this adventure together, um, it just, it like enriched it more than I can even possibly try to explain in words, which is why I saved Paul for last because <laughs> Paul is very good with words. And I think the way he talks about this race really sums it up in my eyes. So let's hear from Paul. Well, you know, I mean, coming away from the race, I, had, I, you know, I've run a number of ultras and a number of races over the years. But I mean, for me, you know, I, I'd run one stage race before this, and that was the Marathon de Saab in 2014. And I guess, you know, over the course of four years, I kind of forgot, you know, the difference between a stage race and just a standard race, you know, because, I mean, they're, they're different on so many levels. You know, and I mean, I can get into that, but, you know, you really come away with this sense of fulfillment, like on one level that you just did something super insane, which is to go, you know, run 140 miles through super hot desert, you know, <laughs> your feet are falling apart and you got the blisters and, you know, you know, it's interesting that, you know, for that, in that regard, you know, what's so crazy is that, you know, so often it's your lungs and it's your musculature and it's all that stuff that's really, you know, going to be the you know the struggle for you in any race and i found you know for me and i think i had it worse than most people i had you know just really bad blisters yeah um and so it becomes a very different kind of idea of endurance you know um which is you know this really sucks you know, <laughs> you know it, it, it's super painful uh you know almost you know it evokes for me like those old like polar explorers and stuff like that where you uh -huh. read those stories about like, you know, they're going through gangrene or their toes are falling off. And yet they're like, can I endure this? Can I press on? <laughs> um, and it's just a very different thing. You know, it's a, a very different battle to fight, you know. Um, and so in that regard, I kind of forgot the, the specifics of the battle, you know, when it comes to stage races as opposed to, you know, one-day events. Um, but the other thing that I forgot is, and, and easily by far and away my favorite thing uh, about stage races, and, and, and for me I don't get it as much in one-day races, is is the camaraderie. I mean, it's just insane how quickly people bond under, you know, that duress, you know, because everybody's going through just, this just insane, you know, um, you know, debacle, this, <laughs> this insane challenge, and... <laughs> And it's so heartening to just see the, you know, the, the first instinct is to to bond. You know, everybody looks out for each other. You know, if you're struggling on the trail, people, you know, they say, hey, you all right, man? And they slow down. You know, they forget about time. They want to make sure you're all right. Uh, and that's very different from, you know, the, the, the general race where someone's like, you know, they might throw up, you know, hey, how you doing in passing kind of thing. But they're on their way, man. They want to continue, continue working on their time. And so in this really kind of strange way, it's like you get to see the best in human beings in this kind of race. And I'd forgotten that, you know, because I had a lot of the same thing when I was in Morocco four years ago. But it just, I don't know, man, you just leave there with a glow. You're like, people are awesome. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's, it's funny talking to everybody. That's the consensus um, people took away. But, but first you were talking about the whole polar explorer idea and this is coming from a guy who loves stories of polar explorers. So yeah, I don't want to insult any polar explorers, but I'm like, 
here's the difference is they really didn't have the option to quit because they would just die. <laughs> and you, <laughs> you, you had the option to quit and you like, was it stubbornness or just pure force of will that forced yourself through it? Because, you know, there always is the option in the back of your mind. Like I saw your blisters, dude, they were horrifying. And there's this option in the back of your mind to be like, Oh, I can just call it a week. You know, I've done you, you could have been like, I did the 38 mile day. Like that was a beast. And you know, so yeah. What was it that like kept you going? Well, it's interesting you say that because that, that reminds me, like, I think people will talk about this in, you know, courses that have loops, you know, like in one-day events. It's like, they, they, you know, like Barclays or something. I mean, obviously, that's the extreme version. But, yeah. but uh, longer races that are loops, right, because there's that horrible, you know, temptation when you come around the loop and you see base camp in your car, like, you know, Ooh. you know, 100 away, and you're like, it sure would be nicer just to go over there and leave. <laughs> um <laughs> And interestingly, you're right, the stage race, you know, particularly one like this, where, you know, you have a base camp and you have vehicles there and a support staff and all that, you could just punch out. You're right. Every night you can just punch out or I guess even on the trail, I suppose, at the um, aid stations. Um, so I, I'd never thought about it that way, kind of the availability of quitting uh, and the temptation to quit. But, you know, I guess to answer your question more directly, it's like, you know, what is that thing? I don't know. I mean, what is it in all of us that just somehow persevere? Um, I was reflecting on it earlier, and it's like, you know, what's such a critical thing, you know, for these events and is this mindset where you have to constantly deny any kind of envisioning of the future, right? Like, it's really interesting because at least for me, and I, and I think you'd probably agree with this, it's just this idea that you just got to keep, whenever your mind starts thinking about five minutes down the road or five hours down the road or three days down the road or something like that, you just have to have this inner switch that just says, hey, shut up, man, focus yeah. on the next hundred, you know, hundred steps. And so I would often do that. That's like a little game I play is just like once my mind starts going off in the wrong directions, I just start counting steps. I just start counting. And it's like, you know what? Have, have this conversation with yourself on a hundred steps. And then you get to a hundred and you're usually thinking about something else already, you know? Yeah. So it's this constant kind of distraction and this constant kind of, you know, just keeping yourself in the moment, you know, because um, in, in, in some ways, well, I think in every way, the, the suffering of the moment is actually less painful than the larger conceptual suffering if you really kind of build out in your head that you still got 120 miles to go. Yeah, right? yeah, man. Dude, day one, I remember looking at the LaSalle Mountains like so incredibly far in the distance and having that same exact thought where I was like, oh, my God, those are so far away, but I have to focus on right here, you know? And I would do that on every hill we were on. Yeah. Literally every hill. I'd be like, dude, I'm not looking at the top of this thing. I'm just going to look at my feet and I'm going to keep going up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think. You, an, no yeah, yeah. You're like, you're expressing this so much better than, because remember day two, we ran together for probably the whole, at least the whole second half of the race. And oh, yeah. I remember finishing and turning to you and being like, dude, I don't remember anything that just happened. <laughs> and I was like, I was trying to express that idea, but I was, 
I was like, oh my God, Paul's going to think I like got a concussion or something. But it, that was the idea where I was like, I was trying to stay so focused in the moment that it was hard to really just, I don't know, like internalize some of my thoughts. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, that, the, uh, the way I'm interpreting that is that, you know, you could never see the entirety of that 38 mile day that we ran together because you, you, you didn't allow yourself to conceptualize it. Yeah. Right? So it was just this constant sequence of, you know, hundred steps, hundred steps, hundred steps, hundred steps. And then <laughs> you, you go, well, how many hundred steps did I do? How many million? Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's awesome, man. That's a really good way and a really smart way to look at it. Cause you know, I got a, I got a lot from running with you. In fact, I think like I would have really, really struggled in that 38 mile day had it not been for you. And you were talking about the power of in these things, especially like, like being with someone else, um, and how important that is for your mood and your emotions and your mental state. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know if these races are self-selecting in a way, you know, for people that are good company on the trail or need other people on a trail uh, or just is that human beings do better in the company of others. Ultimately, I don't know. Yeah. But, I mean, for me, it, it, that was that's always my like, that's always my go to. Like if the wheels are coming off, I you know, I do my checklist of all the things, you know, in the moment, what's going wrong and usually in a race like this for me if i can just hook up with somebody else and start shooting the shit you know what it doesn't matter what you're talking about i remember me and scott were talking about you know tax, tax structures <laughs> <laughs> i don't give a shit about taxes you're teaching like, the 20 were you teaching the 25 year old about taxes or was the 25 year old teaching you Oh, he's probably teaching me. I don't know. But <laughs> the, the important thing is that, that we were just blabbing, you know? Yeah. And again, it could be anything. I mean, you can be bitching about your blisters or you can be talking about, you know, arcane tax structures and stuff like that. <laughs> but just being with another person, you know, having another person in the foxhole is so critical, you know? Yeah. There's, there was one thing. So we did the post-race party. You got up and told told your story, and the story – honestly it brought tears to my eyes and i was like wow what a powerful moment and what a it summed up the week in my eyes so would you mind sharing some of that story i know it, it's from the point of the race where we had this 12 mile section it was super hot starting to get an elevation um uh going into onion creek aid station yeah so you know, and, and again, I think this is like kind of a, a, you know, the ultimate expression of what we were just talking about is the value of camaraderie and of other people. But, you know, um, you know, and, and I, you know, I think this was day, what day was that? I think it was day. F- that was, oh, it was 41. So it was the fourth day. Yeah. It was a 41 mile day. Um, yeah. And so. You know, I had been accustomed to running in the desert at that point. I'd run the Morocco race as well. And so I kind of knew the difference between, you know, getting a little overheated and knowing when to dial back and all that stuff. Um, but it was about 10 miles in on that second day, and, and we dropped down into that canyon that was so hot because there was no wind. Uh, and it was the first time that I ever just 
realized the true power of the desert because I always felt like I could kind of, you know, with some wisdom and some, you know, patience and kind of back off and, you know, take assessments of things and, you know, properly hydrate and that kind of stuff. And I'd always be okay. Um, but this was our longest stretch between aid stations and I'm starting to run out of water. Um, and there was no, there was no wind in there at all. And so it was just this kind of still hot box, you know? Um, and I realized I'm like, okay, I'm, my brain's only working at about 60% capacity right now. I'm kind of sluggish, you know? Uh, and I happened to be fall. I had happened to be cruising for a little bit. I mean, we weren't, you know, we were kind of back and forth and we weren't really paired up with, uh, Scott Scarpino, I believe his last name is, I'm probably butchering it, but from Florida, super dude. And, um, and so I kind of fell in with him and, and we weren't talking, but I was looking at the back of his feet and I was just like, just focus on the back of his feet and follow him. Um, <laughs> uh, for about five minutes, I was playing, you know, just this kind of survival mode of like, I got to get my wits back about me. Uh, and he said to me, he goes, hey, man, you need any water? And at that point, I had like, you know, a third of a flask left. And I said, no, I'm good. I'm good. It's only a few miles to the next aid station. So I drank down the rest of the flask. And then just what was so fascinating to me, because, again, I, you know, I've, I've had some experience in these desert races, but I've never had an experience like this where, you know, really, if you looked at the numbers, I had hydrated properly. And yet all of a sudden, within like three minutes, my mouth and lips and tongue went from lubricated to as arid as pop as could be. Right. I mean, it was literally like, you know, those guys like Chevy Chase and the three amigos where they're like drinking sand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking I, I, of the uh, third Indiana Jones where he chooses poorly and then just turns into a skeleton. I was imagining your lips doing that. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's amusing now, but I mean, I yeah. like, I, it's I terrifying in the like, moment. Yeah. And, and, and I couldn't talk. I literally, like my, my tongue was so raw. I was talking like this. And, uh, and so I said to Scott, I said, you know, and I didn't know Scott from Adam, but I said, Hey man, uh, maybe I'll pick you up on that, uh, in my dry tongue voice. And he's like, sure, man. And he pulls out his entire flask. You know, he had his bladder and a couple of flasks, and he had he had been moderating his drinking better than me. And he handed me a whole flask. And I go, well, is this cool? I mean, you know, you got your, I need to get a look out at you. And he's like, no, I'm good, man. Uh, and he said, we'll stick together. And so that's when we really started talking. Yeah. Right? And, and I think he was looking after me, you know, and he just started talking about anything that was interesting to me. And then we started going these weird tangents because the desert was boiling both our brains. <laughs> um, and he got me into that aid station and cooled me down. And I, and I, and I recomposed myself and, you know, uh, I don't usually like stopping at aid stations. I like to keep moving, but that one I sat still for about 15 minutes and got some ice and everything and kind of got back on my feet. And it was really in large, large, large part because of him, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, at the end, you know, when we had the, the, the speech you're talking about, when everyone was getting up and talking about what they love so much about the race and the, and the post-race meeting, you know, he, you know, I just said, look, man, we all come out of the desert and we're all looking for, you know, to be blown away, right? We're, we're looking for those amazing things in terms of desert vistas and, and very often we're looking we're looking inwardly too to to kind of have those inner fireworks and revelations and you know you know that sort of thing. I mean, there's a reason like dudes like Jesus went into the desert, man. It makes you it makes you contemplate it. It makes you think. And 
And it occurred to me, you know, it's like, you know, the astonishing, you know, magnificent things that I saw were, you know, not the desert. It was nothing within me. It was it was within the heart of other people. You know, I mean, that dude gave me his lifeblood. You know, I mean, he literally gave away his water and, you know, he could just as easily have been in the shit a few minutes later because of it. Yeah. Um, and to me, that's just beautiful, man. It's just like we need more of that in the world. And so, you know, that's going to be, you know, easily one of the top three things that I remember forevermore about this race is just this dude, I don't know, from Adam, from the other side of the country, who just says, here, take my water. I'll be all right. And, and to me, that's just beautiful. Yeah. Oh, me too, man. Me too. That I mean, that sums up the experience. In to me, it sums up the experience because it's just everyone formed such a tight bond because of this extreme circumstance. It felt like. Yeah, and and you know, I guess you know the current kind of divisive you know backdrop we have in this country. You know, everybody thinks everything's irreconcilable, and you know that side and this side, you know, there is no common ground between, between people or anything. And, and you forget that that's not necessarily true intrinsically. I mean, we're all, you know, up, when we're up against it, we look out for each other, man. And that's just such a, a welcome and beautiful thing at this stage of, you know, what's going on in 2018. Yeah. 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 That's, that's definitely what, like I just I I was telling Thomas this, and it was weird because we did our family vacation right after um, the race, and we're in these yeah. random towns I don't know anybody, and we're in like grocery stores, and I'm just looking at the person behind the counter, and I'm like I don't know you, but I do know that if we were thrown in the desert, we would support each other and try to help each other through. <laughs> But isn't that great, man? I mean, and again, I think a lot of people listen to this would be like, okay, so the desert boiled you guys for you guys might have you guys might have accidentally sucked on the wrong cactus and got a little peyote. Um, but it's true, man. It, it, it you know, is. It, 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 and that that's the stuff that's so much rewarding, more rewarding than just saying, hey, look, I got a you know a, a, a ribbon or you know I, this is on my ultra sign up, you know, yeah. or whatever. It's like. That, that shit fades but you know those insights and those strong super beautiful feelings about life are you know that that stays forever man and that's that's worth all the money in the world that's awesome man that's probably a good place to wrap it up do you have anything else you want to add about about i i will also add this i was looking through the photos glenn took and one of my favorite ones because you know you're looking for the photos of yourself you're like oh do i look cool <laughs> but my favorite <laughs> one is you crossing the finish line there's one like we're high-fiving you you're getting sprayed with champagne i love that one but then there's just one where your hands are up in the air and it's just pure joy and i was like yes that's amazing you know you know i saw that picture and in it first i'm like oh yeah there's the finish line happiness picture yeah but then it occurred i'm like I don't remember throwing my hands up like that when I crossed the finish line. I actually think that that picture was taken when I was cheering for one of the subsequent runners to come in. Oh, okay. Right? Which to me makes it much more beautiful of a picture, right? Because it's not like, yeah, check me out. I finished the race. It's like, come on, baby, bring it in. Bring it in one time, you know? And yeah. that goes back to what I was talking about is that, that camaraderie is you really want the others to make it. You yeah. really want them to and you are so happy that they've endured for that long and it's just 
it's just awesome yeah yeah my other the other one i i mean the ones that i really like are the tunnel pictures when people were coming in you know coming into the finish line and everyone would form a big tunnel and cheer them on i thought that was super cool yeah i like i i had not been to an event where that was um you know the norm and it was just super cool to see it's everyone waiting around to support you know the later finishers and and you can see how it just buoys them and brings them back to life because you know when you're deep in the race like that and you're struggling on a 41 mile day it's like that last mile or 10 (laughs) (laughs) yeah got nothing and you die with every step and then somehow when you see all your your fellow runners waiting for you at the finish line, you know, totally there for you and making this, making this tunnel, man. It just, every single person comes to life. They have a new spring in their step. They have a new smile on their face, man. It is just pure gold. That's so cool. All right. Thank you, Paul, for sharing. Thank you all of you guys for being willing to talk with me and share your stories on here because really what the hope is, is that people who didn't run the race who are listening to this decide that they want to go on an adventure too. And hopefully, like I said before talking to Paul, hopefully their adventure involves other people. Maybe it's people you already care about. Maybe it's people um, that you don't know. And through this weird, crazy adventure, you you form this bond with Um And so I truly hope that you guys out there listening aren't just going zombie mode, aren't just doing the same thing day after day after day. I hope you're actually pursuing something that you've always wanted to pursue. Um, I've always wanted to do a stage race. I've talked about it before on the podcast. I heard about a stage race when I was like 10 for one of my older cousins. She had gone to the Sahara and she was my hero. She was the first in real life Indiana Jones that I knew of. I was like, she's traveling around the world, exploring the desert, climbing these mountains. Like, holy crap, Susan's Indiana Jones. And I was like, I didn't know people can actually be adventurous. Um, And so I've always wanted to do one. And that was when I was 10. This is 21 years later. I finally signed up and I finally competed in one. And the experience was more enriching than I ever possibly could have imagined. So, so go out there. Don't, don't back away from something that you've always wanted to do. If you've always wanted to, whatever, maybe it's climb a mountain, maybe it's, um, get into riding your bike, or maybe it's not even something physical. Maybe it's, you wanted to start a podcast. You wanted to write a book, whatever, like go after it, you know? Um, it's so incredibly rewarding. Uh, even if everything goes wrong, you heard it today. For some of the racers, everything went wrong, and I think for all of us, things, 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 things were things were were challenging and things were hard at some point during the race. Um, but you're hearing it in their voices and in their stories, although things didn't go as expected or as planned, or maybe things were incredibly painful or terrifying um you can tell that everybody i've talked to who competed in the race you can tell that they absolutely gained something out of it and so that's the idea here is don't be scared of an experience going wrong 
because you're going to learn something. You're going to gain something in your life by that experience. And and what better way to live than slowly gaining all of this knowledge and advice and all these adventures throughout your life? Um, I think all of us want to live an adventurous life. I think that's one of like the human drives. And I think we all can if we can step out of our own way. Um, and sometimes it's as simple as just signing up for something or just committing to something. So I hope you guys take that away. Um, that's what I've really taken away from this experience. Uh, I shared a story and I'll share it really quick here. I've always wanted to mountain bike around this mountain. I run this mountain all the time called North Table Mountain. And um, I biked like half of it, like the easy part, quote unquote. And I've always wanted to do the whole loop. It's like a seven and a half mile loop. It's beyond my ability of mountain biking. Um, I know that if people saw me out there, they would know that. <laughs> um and I've always wanted to do it. And I was up there yesterday. I'd biked all the way from my house to the mountain. And I went on all some of these easy single tracks and things like that. And I got up to this point where I was like, okay, I can go halfway around the mountain, do half, like half of a loop, or I could just commit to the whole damn thing. And I decided, I was like, you know what? what's the point of putting this out off any longer? Cause I had all these stories in my head and the stories were like, Hey, you can do this when you're better. When you improve, this is a thing that you can do. And I was, as I was thinking about that and that sentence was really going through my head. I was thinking the only way to get better is by maybe doing some things that are beyond your ability level right now and failing or you think it's perceived that it's beyond your ability level, but you learn through doing it that you actually can achieve that. And it's a really important lesson because once you learn that, you can apply it to all these other areas of your life um, and hopefully find some success, find some happiness, find some adventure. Uh, so once again, thank you guys to my all my fellow Desert Rat folks. You guys are amazing. Um, I will share more. I'm recording more stories over the next few weeks. Um, and I, like I said, I'm I don't want to Desert Rat the audience of the podcast out. <laughs> so we'll be taking a break from these stories, but we will come back to them in a month or so, um, and we'll share another little episode like this. Uh, I talked to a fellow racer, Amy, the other day, and we ended up recording an entire episode. Her story was incredible. So uh, look forward to that coming up in the next few weeks or the next month or so. But anyways, thank you guys for enjoying the podcast. Thank you. We made it to episode 101. It's crazy to me that we've actually gone into the triple digits. Uh, and that's solely based on consistency sitting down doing it every single week uh it's it's helped having you guys out there listening sending feedback's been amazing um so i just want to say that i appreciate all you guys especially if you're listening and it's an hour 43 into this <laughs> all right see you next week